Well, Monica, we are starting a new series, but I feel like this one is taking us from spooky season right into true crime. It is just a great crossover. I love it. We're going to talk about urban legends. Oh, I can't wait. There are so many out there and you never know which ones are just there to spook you. Like you said, all sorts of urban legends. So there could be urban legends about boogeymen to come get you, or there could mm -hmm. be urban legends about real scary people who might do things to you, or like lunatics from insane asylums, different things like that. But what I am going to talk about today are urban legends that are actually real and in the true crime category. Oh, okay. You're listening to Two Monicas in a Microphone, a finely crafted podcast about nothing serious. Seriously, I'm your host, Monica. And I'm the other Monica. Get ready to talk about anything and everything from vampires to colorblindness to pet peeves to hot dogs and everything in between. Friends, before we get started, don't forget to hit that follow button on your favorite podcast app and leave us a five-star review. You can also connect with us on all social media at Two Monica's Podcast. That's with the number two. Thanks, Vaughn. Okay, so on with the show. First things first, we're going to play a little game. Do you like games, Monica? Oh, do I? I was trying to be creepy like that one movie saw, but I don't yeah. think it comes across creepy enough. But <laughs> we are going to play Two Truths and a Lie, Murder Edition. Oh, this is going to be good. I can already tell. Monica, what are the rules for this game? How do we play? So the rules are pretty simple. I'm going to share briefly three stories, and you're going to determine which one of the stories is a lie. So two of them will be true. One will be a lie. It's your job to guess. Okay. First up, we have the Bunny Man from Fairfax County, Virginia in 1970. I so love the image that you have here. It's so <laughs> creepy. It's so creepy. So a man runs around dressed like a rabbit, terrorizing people before killing them with a hatchet. And why don't you go ahead and share the picture? It's a picture of let's say a white Easter bunny costume, but it's mostly red from blood. And the bunny is holding what looks like a hockey stick. So yeah. I can only imagine that he bludgeoned his victims to death. And then in the background, it looks like he's in the forest or maybe standing in front of a house with a lot of trees. And the font and color, uh, it's like creepy all just jointed and it's green. So could you just even imagine that? Like someone dressed up in a white bunny costume terrorizing people. But that is an urban legend from Fairfax County, Virginia. It's so, not uh, too far off from like someone dressing up in a clown costume. Right? Yeah. So I don't know. Then we have Lover's Lane murders. So Monica, are you familiar with what a Lover's Lane is? Yes. Go or to park in the dark. And make out uh, or yeah. other parking. You're going parking. Yeah, you're going parking. You may get past third base. We don't know if that's between you and the person you're parking with. <laughs> the police officer may knock on your window and then you're like yes. scrambling. Yes, exactly. So where I say anywhere in the USA, I feel like Lover's Lane murders is the type of urban legend that you hear everywhere, anytime. Like I have been hearing of this Lover's Lane murder for 
decades. It just seems like my dad said that it was something, you know, they were scared of. Usually it has to do with a man with a hook, right? But um, Oh, I did. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. But basically an axe murderer goes around killing couples who drive up to Lover's Lane and make out. So that is the urban legend and there's plenty of them. Mm. The third one that I'm going to share is escaped mental institution patient. So where this story is from Indiana when 1979 and what a mental patient escapes the hospital to terrorize his old hometown and has a fixation with tormenting his sister and murdering her friends. Oh, Monica, based on our last episode, which was talking about insane asylums and all the bad things that happen to people there, I can definitely someone with severe issues wanting to take revenge. Oh, yeah, me too. Me too. So all these sound super creepy to me, and I wouldn't want to come across any one of them. But the thing is, you could have come across two of them. So are you ready for the reveal? I'll go through them one at a time. All right. All right, so the bunny man, what was your initial instinct with that? I think it's possible, but I'm going to side with that that's the lie. So bunny man is actually a true story. What? I thought for sure that, like I said, back in Virginia in 1970, now this was a little bit of a trick. Nobody died, but there was a man who dressed in a bunny suit and terrorized people. And this all happened with 10 days of each other and then just never happened again. This story of the bunny man has been in the Virginia area and even up into Maryland for a long, long time. So eventually, Brian Connolly, who is a local historian, discovered that back in 1970, there were two sightings of a man in a bunny suit. So the first uh -huh. one was that an Air Force cadet and his girlfriend were parked in a car. They said that they were not making out, by the way. That's what they sure. said. <laughs> <laughs> when they saw a man dressed as a rabbit attack them, yelling that they were trespassing before he broke their car window. Oh, my God. That, terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. So they reported the incident to the police who then found a hatchet in their back seat that he had thrown through the window. OK, so definitely true. It's based on a true story. Yeah. And then later, a security guard found a man dressed in a bunny suit hacking away, not at a body part, oh. but at a new home that was under construction. And then he yelled at the security guard that he was trespassing. It's the same dude. It's got to be the same. Like, that is weird. Yeah, to so, use that word. Luckily, right. nobody was injured and they never found the culprit. And like I said earlier, no other incidents reported. That's just weird. Like, that one is just That weird is so weird. And I can see how it would become legend because yes. he, this person was never found. They never found this, the costume. Sighting seemingly stopped. But yeah. you know it happened twice. Ooh, yeah. So how creepy. Now, as legends go, and I think one of the reasons why this turned into an urban legend is because people then started like killing rabbits and hanging it off of a bridge. You know, they went for oh. it, like whole hog. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. That would just take it to the next level. Right. Right. But there is an origin to why it spooked people so many years ago. So we'll go on to the next one. Lovers Lane Murders. What was your instinct on this? I think this probably happened. I mean, the son, the son of Sam went around shooting couples in their car, but they weren't yes. exactly in a lane parking. So I think that this probably is based on true events that have happened across the country. 
Yes, and you're correct. I mean, there are so many Lover's Lane serial killers. So there's several Lover's Lane serial killers out there, and one of them is the Atlanta Lover's Lane murders. Have you ever heard of them? I know you are super into true crime, so I'm I really am. anxious to see which ones you've heard of. You know, uh, it doesn't come to mind. Okay, so this happened in 1977 in Atlanta. Duh, Atlanta Lover's Lane murders. <laughs> pretty, pretty straightforward there. So three unsolved shootings. So the first couple died of their wounds. They were naked and swerved off the road because they had been shot, then like tried to get in the front seat and then get to help and they couldn't and they died of their gunshot wounds and went off the road. Oh my God. And that's God. how they were found. Yeah. And people had said they had seen them at the local Lover's Lane. And then a month later, two teenagers were shot while in the act of sexual intercourse another spot for making out this place Atlanta has more than one lover's lane area and they were in a different one but they both survived yeah but it was the same gun that had shot the first couple and then a month after that an engaged couple was at the same park and the girl died after the murder unloaded six shots into the vehicle and this person was never caught wow and probably moved on oh yeah so what they said is that these Lover Lane murders in Atlanta, they were really trying to be hot on the case, but then guess what happened also in 1977? And now this uh, one, I know you know. Is that the, the missing boys? Yeah, so the Atlanta yep. child murders. Yep. And then so all focus went on that. So there was another Lover's Lane murder in Houston, Texas in 1999. And now this wasn't a serial killer, but it was really brutal murder in a lover's lane and they couldn't figure out who did it and you know it involves someone being sexually assaulted murdered tied to a tree just oh, oh my very wow grisly. these are yeah. really grisly they are they were really grisly for me i think that's why it's a little apprehensive to even every time we'd be like oh no we need to push this off i was like oh yeah that's okay <laughs> <laughs> Please spare my my purity. Yes. So then there was another one. So this was for me really my introduction to Lover's Lane murders because I love older true crime. So 40s and before. That's really where I always like to get my true crime stories from. And so these were the Moonlight murders and they took place in Texarkana, Texas and Texarkana, Arkansas. So this guy, he attacked eight people, five of whom died. Most of them were on a lover's lane. There was some pretty bad trauma that happened with him using the pistol of his gun to do things you would never want done with the pistol of the gun. Uh, yeah, and those people survived. But then he did go on to kill some more women. And then it ended up like what was the climax? And then really nothing happened after that is that he attacked someone on their front porch and he murdered that man and then when his wife went to look outside he shot her in the face but she survived oh that's so sad so, yeah and then nothing happened so that was another thing where i think the attacker moved on and probably died somewhere else I would think that's probably um, accurate. So I think one of the most famous Lover's Lane style murders were known as the Colonial Parkway murders in Virginia. Now, had you heard of those? No. Okay. And the reason that I say that they were probably the most famous is because I think the Oxygen Network did like a huge thing on them and they, you know, there is it, a lot out there. It sounds, it sounds familiar. 
Yeah. And with all these murders, unfortunately, it's so sad that a lot of this starts to run together. Um, That's exactly what happens to me. Because, yeah, these people, like, they're real people with real tragic lives. And it's really sad how they were just targeted for doing something that's just natural that all of us, not all of us, but most of us have done before. And Monica, there are many, many more Lover's Lane murders. I dug one up from 1956 in Waco, Texas. And of course, you know, the first two victims of the Zodiac Killer were in a Mm -hmm. Lover's Lane in California. As you mentioned earlier, the son of Sam is also considered a Lover's Lane killer. And in fact, I uncovered a list of 10 unsolved Lover's Lane murders in only two of the ones I mentioned earlier were on there. Oh, wow. I had no idea there were so many. Yeah, so the urban legend of be careful if you're going to go make out in a car in the dark, you're like, I get why you would be scared of that. Yeah. Yeah. And here I thought the worst thing that we had, you know, to be afraid of was getting caught by the police or like, you know, running out (laughs) of gas, your engine dying. Yeah. Yeah. More than your engine could die. So finally, on this game of two truths and a lie, we get to the escaped mental patient who tormented his sister in Indiana. Now, Monica, what was your initial reaction to this? I thought it sounded a lot like the exact plot of the franchise Halloween and the first Halloween movie. Yes, and you would be correct because that's straight where I stole that from. Halloween night. A small American town. 15 years ago. Michael? I spent eight years trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. I think he'll come back. Just so everyone knows, that is not based on a true story. If you want to know any more about movies that are based on true crimes, horror stories that are based on true crimes, you can head back on to season one and check that out in our spooky season episodes. Well, next we're going to go to creepy but true urban legends. So I'm going to share a few urban legends with you that will really shock you that are real. I am anxious to see what you think of this one. A murderer enters your apartment through the medicine cabinet. Does that ring any bells? It sounds like the Candyman. But you have to, like, call him to you. Right. You know? But he comes through. He comes through the mirror. Through the mirror of the medicine cabinet. Uh-huh. So, true story. Super creepy. Yes. No way. 
Yes. So in 1987 in Chicago, a woman named Ruthie May was murdered by a man who came through the medicine cabinet of her apartment. Now this was a defect because it was part of the old housing projects there in Chicago. And there were many defects in those buildings and no one really cared to fix them. So that's a horror story in and of itself. And honestly- So was the defect that they made, they made the medicine cabinet the size of a human? Or that yeah, you so could, like, walk between the walls? All of it. All of oh. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, all of it. So, in that they were so deteriorated that they could easily be removed. Just a lot of it. And her her story is so, so sad. So, she called 911, but so did someone else at the same time about gunshots. So, the police did eventually make it there, but they were addressing the gunshots. And the projects were so, such a sad place that the police tried to enter her apartment, but everyone told them just to go away and not do it and then they did and monica she was found two days later dead oh. in her apartment and there was so much chaos going on at the time that no one noticed that a woman got shot in her apartment and that alone is there horrifying. for two days yeah that exactly so it's really sad and i know we don't have time to tell her story here but i am going to link it on the show notes and it's the story from the chicago reader and honestly it's really compelling and i think it's worth reading i'm just just a little eye-opening for me. It's tragic. It's sad. I mean, it, it just paints a story of, you know, mental health and neglect and, and just some of the situations that people have found themselves in. And so I think it's important. And it was, and I thought it was written, written really well. So I'm going to share it. You want to read this next one? Because I was like, ew, no, please tell me this is not true. Yes, my eyes are bugging out of my head right now. Fake dead bodies are actually real dead bodies. I'm like, what? So in 2015, in Chilcoth, Ohio, a woman was running from her boyfriend, got caught on the fence, and he killed her and left her body there. Passersby thought it was a Halloween decoration for most of the morning. That's recent. Right? I mean, ew. And also, I almost feel like if like I actually were on village council, I would ask that we pass an ordinance that no fake dead bodies, no fake dead bodies. <laughs> right. It either needs to be a full on skeleton or yeah. like a fake ghost. We should not question if no. the person is dead. So then in 2009, so this is previous, but in 2009 in LA, a body sat on a balcony for days before anyone realized what it was truly. And it was a man who had committed suicide via gunshot to the face. Okay, so and on his balcony, so maybe the people couldn't see that he had no he, face at that point. Yeah, I, I would, would think, think it's that weird. It's weird. That He's not, he doesn't wave to you. Or if you like look up, there's no reaction. Like I instinctively look up when people pass my house. Right. So I don't, they thought that it was a Halloween decoration. Oh, again with this. <laughs> Goodness. Yeah. All of these are people thinking these are Halloween decorations. In 2014, Spring Hill, Florida, handyman cleaning out a garage thought a body was a prop hanging in the garage. It wasn't until they were at the dump that they realized it was real. Yeah. So oh, they took it awful. down yeah. and still thought it was a prop. 
Yes. Yeah. Um, that, okay. That's crazy. They did. The owners of the property had also seen the same body and they thought old tenants had left it behind. But sadly, it was a man who had killed himself weeks before. Delaware 2005, a woman committed suicide and passersby thought it was a holiday prank. And here's the one that got me, Monica, this final one on fake bodies are actually real dead bodies. Did you know that the movie Poltergeist used real dead bodies in it? That is disgusting. Yes. And also the disturbing scene where like, I believe it's the mom slides into like this pool of grotesque skeletons. Those were real. No wonder so many of the people from this movie died. Yeah, no, for sure. Bad for karma. Sure. Bad karma. Wow. Well, this next headline, um, as we enter the Halloween season, you know, Sienna and I have been having conversations about strangers and, um, you know, you don't go with strangers. It doesn't matter if they have a kitty, a puppy, they tell you that I sent you. So we're having those conversations more and more frequently because we're at parks with lots of strangers now. And this was a thing when we were growing up, kidnappers mm -hmm. trying to give kids money or not trying to give kids candy to take them into big white vans. That's why the big white vans have such a bad rap. Right. So kidnappers giving candy to kids and taking them in white vans, you would think is an urban legend. But in fact, really, it's not. And I'm going to tell you why. There's a few compelling reasons why. So there actually was a child predator in Texas. His name was Dean Coral, and he worked for his mother's candy company, and he was known to offer candy two children. This was back in the 70s. Of course and, it was. and he did this so often that officials at a local elementary school were like, hey, you know, don't do this. Not because you're creeping us out because it's the 70s and we don't realize that there's creeps yet. But the children were crossing the busy street because it was kind of like seeing the ice cream man. Oh, the candy guy. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, so like this is unsafe. Please don't come around here anymore. Okay, but so he did that in a white van and he had 28 victims and at least two of them were last seen climbing into that van. I have heard of him and this story, especially the thing that uh, reminded me of it is that it was his mother's candy shop. Gross, um, I just got the chills. Yeah. Uh, also, the Toolbox Killers, they used a light-colored utility van that they nicknamed Murder Mac. Now, we're not going to detail their atrocities here, but you can learn more about them in Season 1 in our True Crime series. They didn't have any candy, but for sure, they used a white van. Super um, disturbing. In general, serial killers who used vans were Jeffrey Dahmer, Robert Lee Yates, Gerald and Charlene Galago, or Galago. Who cares? I don't care if I say their name right. <laughs> right, um, right. <laughs> here in my area, I do have a story though, and it's very sad. So there was a man who used a van to hit a woman while riding her bike. He tied her up and he threw her in the back of the van. And oh. she was able to escape, so he was only charged with kidnapping, and I think he served maybe six years. Well, a few that years seem ago. like enough. Well, right, especially because a few years ago, he did the exact same thing to a young woman on a bike ride here in the early evening. So by here, I mean in the same county I live in. Uh -huh. And he was riding her bicycle. 
her fiance was riding his motorcycle and he stopped and said, hey, babe, see you home in a few minutes. She's like, yep, see you up there. And so that guy in that amount of time, he hit her and then hurt her, put her in the back and had killed her in 15 minutes That yes. between her seeing her fiance. Yeah. A lot of local people knew her, very affected by it. And what's really irks me is that because he didn't kill that first woman, he was able to get out and do this again. Right. Like, that's just something not right about that. It's just so awful. So I understand why the urban legends of vans has become a thing. But anytime there's a white van, Lillian will be like, I saw a white van, so I came inside immediately. <laughs> oh, I mean, we don't need to be scared of all white vans. Right, right. safe than sorry at oh. this point. So the final urban legend is a modern urban legend. Do you remember getting chain emails? Like you would get something and it would say, if you don't forward this email, you'll die. I have never, thank God, ever received an email like that. <laughs> well, they were it was, huge. I was, I was always sucked in by the ones that are like, buy seven pairs of underwear. <laughs> <laughs> and mail them to seven friends. Mail them oh. to the person at the top of the list. And then, oh. you know, but then it turned in, it went from snail mail when I was in my teens and early 20s to email. It's like forward it to the person at the top of the list or, you know, yes. and, and add your name to the bottom. And right. when it's your turn, you will also get seven pairs of really cute panties. <laughs> oh, well, yours sounds much nicer than chain letters of old. Actually, people used to send weird chain letters in the snail mail too. So when email came around, I guess chain letters just followed. So there's all types, like the type that you got, which was like harassing you to buy stuff. And then right. there's the kind that's like harassing you or you'll die. So if you'll see here, there's an actual email from 2000, so 22 years ago crazy it is crazy it's so crazy because we remember life before email but now we're 22 years on the other side of it probably 25 but for sure 22 on this mm -hmm. story so the email says if a guy by the name of slave master contacts you do not answer he has killed 56 women that he has talked to on the internet please with a z send out to all the women on your buddy list also ask them to pass this on he has been on yahoo aol excite so far this is no joke exclamation point times seven and please send this to men too just in case send to everyone you know okay now that you've just read that it does sound familiar it was like this random warning about meeting people online or that there was some activity maybe i only received one once or then when facebook came out or myspace it was like MySpace. hey ladies yeah, it was definitely MySpace. Like, hey, everyone, beware. There's someone, you know, going around doing this, that, and the other. Send this to all your friends so they know. So I wasn't sure if that was ever true or a good warning. Yeah, and I think that it was definitely a good warning. Be careful who you meet online, right? But this slave master. Always. This was true. Ah. Yeah. So he didn't kill 56 women 
that anyone knows of, okay? But I am going to tell you his story. He's actually known as the first internet serial killer because he used the internet. M-G. In 2000, this man, John Robinson, was arrested after authorities found the bodies of two women on his property and three more in storage units. He reportedly prowled BDSM forums in search of victims going by the name I said earlier, Slave Master. Now, I saved him for last because his tale is so much more than catfishing in the year 2000. And his victim list predates the internet. He's not just a serial killer. He's an embezzler and a con man. Have you ever heard of him? No. Okay, so neither had I. And... He was the very last thing that I looked up and put any time into on this urban legends and only because he came up on list after list after list. Holy moly with a dude. Holy moly. So from 1969 to 1984, he or actually really 1993 even maybe. He has a rap sheet a mile long for embezzlement charges. I mean, seems pretty white collar at that point. Yeah, right, right, exactly. So he started several shell companies and did all the shell company things with them. And what he did was simply just move out of state when he was on parole in Chicago and just started a new life in Kansas City. Of course. I mean, so in 1984, he started a fake charity. And this is where things take a known grizzly turn. He hired a 19-year-old named Paula Godfrey, and she told her parents that she was leaving for training, but never returned. So days later, her family got a typewritten note with her signature on it saying, she's doing okay, but you know, leave her alone. She's never coming back. This family went to the authorities, but there was just no evidence of foul play. Other than the fact that your daughter, who yes, maybe technically is a grown-up, has never Mm -hmm. indicated she never wanted to come back before. Right. But there's just nothing they could do. And who knows what the police work was on this. I have no idea. But this does remind me, his story reminds me so much of H.H. Holmes. So much. With all the embezzlement and con man and murder and young Mm -hmm. vulnerable women. So this next one, this is disgusting, like beyond the murder. This will just paint a picture of who he is. So in 1984, 1985, he lured a woman named Stasi with a four month old baby who he found at a battered women's shelter. He told Mm -hmm. her that he was taking her to a place that would give her a job, some training, and take care of her baby. But instead, he killed her. And what do you think happened to the baby? I mean, there has been a case recently where a man killed his ex-girlfriend, even though the baby wasn't his, and then like just start brought the child into his life. And then killed the child eventually. Oh, that's awful. That yeah, sounds like H.H. Holmes style. H.H. Holmes would definitely have killed this poor little baby. But what he did might even be worse in some ways because he gave it to his brother and sister-in-law because they were not able to have children and were having trouble adopting. So he said, oh, I found this baby. Now he's a con man. So okay, he right. has been conning for the past 20 years, y'all. Like super duper conning. So everyone in his life. He he even got awards for being man of the year, which he gave himself that award. But anyway, and faked people saying 
recommending him for it. I mean, he was the con man of con man of con man. Wow. So, so what did he get for the baby? Well, he just asked for $5,500 in legal fees. And he said to them that their mother had recently died by suicide. So basically, this became his niece. <gasps> Oh, yeah. At least the baby wasn't with him. Because I see here, I see here that still in the 80s, 1987, another young woman is lured by working for him and she vanishes. Yeah. Yeah. So luckily out there from 1987 to 1993, no one vanished because he was incarcerated on several fraud convictions. And isn't that how a lot of these stop? For a time, they take a pause. Yes, exactly. But while there, he made a friendship with the prison librarian. After he was released, she quit her job, divorced her husband, and went to work for him. And guess what? She was never heard from again? Correct. But however, he was able to have her alimony checks forwarded to him for years, and he cashed them for years. And when her ex-husband called and said, hey, like, where is my wife? He's like... Oh, yeah. She moved to Australia. Wow. If you can see my face right now, my jaw is dropped. Right. Like, when you look at his pictures, I always think, how are people conned by people who look like this? Because I swear he looks like a serial killer. So, Monica, when did he when did he turn to the Internet? In 1994, which is just so crazy to think that in 94, the Internet and chat rooms were a thing. But they were. I was using them. AOL. Yeah, and that would be one of the places possibly where he would have sought out his victims um, was on, you know, specialized chat rooms. So Mm -hmm. he was looking for something in particular. He was looking for sexually submissive women, and he used the name Slave Master, as we said before. Now, in some of the stuff that I read, it was possible that predating the internet, he had an underground BDSM ring that he led as well. But Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like putting that into the Google search at all. Yeah, yeah, no. (laughs) You can just avoid that. Mm-hmm. I'll just avoid that. So if anyone else would like to go right on ahead. So, but I mean, I think this was part of his life. He didn't just come up with us in 1994. Get real. So there's just no way. So this is probably something he had dabbled in before, but now the internet was out there connecting him to all sorts of new victims who would have no connection with anyone else that he knew. Yeah. So, yeah, this one is, it makes me mad. Any death should make me mad, but this just oh, bothers me so much. So he was able to make a connection with Sheila Faith, and she was really excited when he offered to pay for her daughter's medical expenses because her daughter had spinal bifida. So she promptly moved out to Kansas City, and of course, she and her daughter were never heard from again. However, he did continue to collect the daughter's disability checks. Man, he really had this game down. And I just need to interject here for my parents Mm -hmm. who may or may not be listening. Mom and dad, I was not on these types of chat rooms, okay? I was just (laughs) like on little teeny bopper chat rooms on AOL. So speaking of chat rooms, in 1999, he was able to convince a 21-year-old Polish immigrant named Isabella Lewicka to sign a slave contract. Now, this reminds me of our very first episode when you talk about the Nixvium cult. Uh, Yeah, Um, that or like even, let's say, fiction Fifty Shades of Grey. 
Oh, okay. I've never read that, but okay. So slave contracts, apparently a thing, obviously. Yep. Um, he was able to find someone willing to sign it. So there were 115 items listed on this con contract and that gave him full control of everything, including ding, 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 her bank accounts. Oh, yeah, he even moved her out to Kansas City and they went to the courthouse for a marriage license, but they never picked it up. And guess what? She turned up the next day and asked for an annulment. Yeah, no, sadly. She was never heard from again. So what did he get? Oh, he got her whole bank account. Yeah, so that's what he got out of it was probably he got the slave control. Like, I'm sure mm -hmm. he did some stuff with that, let's be honest. But then he got the bank account. He reminds me a lot of H.H. Holmes because H.H. Holmes was there for the money using the poor Victorian women going to one of my favorite things, the Chicago World's Fair. But in 1999 is really when he started escalating as we do see these serial killers do. So another woman ended up disappearing and her name was Suzette and she had to agree to be his sex slave. She moved to Kansas City and this is partially what led to his downfall because what he would do after he killed this woman is he would write letters as if he were these women to their loved mm -hmm. ones for I months see. and years weeks whatever whatever little sick time he wanted to keep it up but mm -hmm. he kept spelling Suzette's dog's name wrong in the letters and her mother was like I guess she does not going to spell her pet's name wrong this many times so she got the authorities involved now before that had happened with the Suzette lady like the FBI had tried to do a sting operation but like got but the person that they were using the to do the sting operation she was an FBI agent like she feared for her life so they had to cut it off because that's oh. how deep into something weird he was into and then they were able to talk to a prostitute, but he did something I cannot repeat here, but other people have done it. So I don't know why I can't repeat it, but he did something with the pistol of a loaded gun. Oh, you would God, never yeah, want no. done to you. And so he was, she just really wasn't able, she had to be put into protective custody because mm -hmm. of that and therefore couldn't turn state's evidence on him or whatever the technical terms are okay. uh, at the time. But within, you know, a year or so of that, this thing happened with Suzette. And so they were able to get him, thankfully, because it sounds like he wasn't going to stop. He wasn't going to stop. And honestly, if it wasn't for the internet, I think he could have just gone on and done this forever and ever and ever because the internet was probably really his downfall because he was able to get a lot sloppier and because you don't understand what you're using at with the technology. So you're, yeah. you're doing those things. Yeah. So now here's the thing that I didn't anticipate is what? when I got to the end of learning about him, I learned that he was married this entire time. Shut the front door. Really? Yeah. I swear she had to be one of those. Well, John said not to go into the garage, so I didn't type of woman because seriously. Yeah, like 12 locks on the garage or the basement door. <laughs> Yeah, and he, he found, walks around with the keys. Exactly, because they found two of the bodies like on his property. So, oh, God. But the thing is, he's also a con man who like sold a baby to his brother-in-law. So I don't know, because it sounds like he surrounded himself with good people, right? But he just was to take not advantage of them. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So authorities believe that, of course with these serial killers that there could be more victims but isn't that always the way with these monsters yes 
Well, Monica, that's all I have for urban legends that are true. And you know what? To be honest, I'm glad that's all I have. I'm glad this was a shorter episode. (laughs) Me too. I can't wait for what we have coming up for true crime. We're doing everything from biggest cons in the world to maybe serial killers that are still out there. Until next time. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and letting us be part of your day, whether that's folding socks, driving to work, or getting in your cardio. We're happy to provide you with entertainment about nothing serious, seriously. Don't forget to subscribe or follow our podcast so you never miss an episode. If you're loving it, leave a five-star review on Apple or Spotify. You can follow us on Instagram at 2MonicasPodcast. That's with the number two. Access extended show notes and more at our website, 2MonicasPodcast.com. Love this episode? Hit that share button and send to a friend who'd like it too. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of 2Monicas in a Microphone. Awesome. That was fun.